Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode 26. Our top five sector allocation and why. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dividend Talk. I'm your co-host, Engineer My Freedom, and today I'm joined with European DGI. This is a podcast where we discuss our passion for dividend growth investing with our own unique European flavor. If you're new to our channel, please hit the like button and subscribe to us, and check out our previous episodes on YouTube and Spotify. See you on the inside. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dividend Talk. We have a, a nice little easy topic today. We're going to talk about our sector allocation. But before we get into that, I'm here with European DJI. How are you doing, buddy? I'm uh, I'm in a good humor, so that's already a good <laughs> a good start because uh, I'm really looking forward for the show today. And you know, never a dull moment, crazy days at work, but I'm really glad that this uh, stupid year is coming to an end with COVID-19 and I hope we don't get COVID-20 because I think 19 is referring to the uh, year, right? So is it then that next year it's called COVID-20? There, there must be a year behind, is it? It, it didn't hit Europe till, till 2020, so maybe they should re rename it. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if someone in one January calls it COVID-20 because it has a slight mutation or something like that anyway <laughs> but sp speaking of of covid 19 while, while we're on the subject there was the first person which i believe is a lady received the vaccine in the uk and i believe if, if i'm right it's it's significant for a couple of reasons but the first is it was an elderly lady and i think i i believe it's the first time a woman has received the vaccine first which is pretty big news i'm, I'm not quite sure the effects are or anything maybe you might might know but it's um looks to be a positive step in the right direction yeah well the only thing i heard is that uh, i think there are already thousand people or something like that and people with allergic conditions they they seem to get some uh, adverse events there but it still seems bearable from what i understood so I'm really curious to to the long-lasting impact of the vaccines, whether it's really um, going to protect us or not, uh, for how long it will last, because you know we don't have all the data yet, I would say, in the sense of um, how long the antibodies stay, stay in our bodies. But I think it's really big news, and it's really, um, you know, people said, ah, we will have something in Q3. I never really believed that, but anything before, uh the new year uh, i considered it always as a bonus and it's really nice that we can now start with the elderly that's starting in the uk so i think for us uh more more like the younger generation and, and the healthy generation will probably have to wait until uh, mid next year but i'm glad it's starting and specifically for the frontline workers i mean they're putting their lives just all the time at risk so it's really about time uh, uh, that they get uh, vaccinated yeah, yeah, it's, it's good news, and, and hopefully travel will open back up soon. I, I have to admit, I'm getting a bit, I don't know, agitated. I, I, I like to travel quite a bit, and I'm really looking forward to to getting out and, and seeing some yeah. some new places. 
And I'm dreaming of going to France Croatia next year, just camping or something like that, uh, just where all the crowd is again. This week, I'm I'm really excited. Um, I, I spoke to you a little bit before off, off air, and I, I know you had no clue what I was talking about. But in, in Ireland, we have our national game. It's called hurling. They use sticks, and they beat each other, and they hit a small ball. Um, but it's a, it's a really big event in Ireland, the Gaelic Games. is It's in every community. Communities are really built around this game. It's, it's It really brings people together over here. But we have an All-Ireland final um, this Sunday, and Watford, my county, are, are in the final. And it's it's a really, really big deal for us. It's been 60 years in around since since we last won it. The, the last time we are in the final, Galway beat us. So we are really, really looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be... A great weekend if if Warford do win we will be on our own lockdown for a week just partying it's going to be crazy <laughs> the, the build-up has, has already got us excited so we're we're really looking forward to it so you, you'll know on Sunday if, I, if I'm active online I'm in a really good mood or if, if you don't hear from me from two or three days you'll know we lost but is it like live on television like Champions League final and such oh yes 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 um you usually like Usually it's played in August, so it's a summer game. It's a fa it's one of the fastest games in the world, so it's a summer game. Obviously with COVID, it's gone into winter and it, it slowed it down a small bit. But Croke Park fits 60, 70,000 people. It's it's usually full. It's it's impossible to get tickets unless you know somebody or have connections. I have connections in, in that area and I, I, I go to most games and I've been to the last final and, and all that. So I really miss not being there. But hey, if we win on Sunday, I, I don't care where I am. It's going to be, it's going to be a party. So good luck. This will be Thank really you. interesting. We we will need it. We're playing Limerick and, and they're quite good. They beat us already this year um, in the monster final. So it's going to be quite a tough game. But I, hey, look, I'm I'm optimistic right now. So share with us on Twitter the highlights of the final, please. Yeah, that I would be really interesting to see how this game really works and uh, how how Waterford looks like. Uh, what kind of color of jersey? We are white and blue. White, white and, blue. and blue. Okay, yeah. good, cool. So maybe then um, another news item for me is uh, the craziness of IPOs at the moment. We had DoorDash, food delivery, now our Airbnb, uh, priced for sixty-eight uh, at the IPO dollars, and shot up to uh, hundred forty something. I mean, th there are two thoughts that I have here those investment bankers that are guiding the IPO, they they have really done a bad job effectively because uh, Airbnb could have got twice as much uh, for selling the shares on the stock market and could have done much more with that money. And at the same time, uh, I said, what the fuck? Why are people buying for these prices? It, 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 people now tell me um, this is not 1999. Then I don't believe this anymore because for me this this is 1999 from what I read in the books. This actually reminds me of cryptocurrency in 2017 when you had all these new tokens and coins coming onto the market, running similar things to IPOs, and just going to crazy, crazy prices and then crashing down after like. Are you telling me A on B and B is worth that amount of money? It's it's not. I've seen a, a throwaway comment on Twitter, and it actually resonated with me. And I said, maybe some of these big blue chip companies should go private and in another year run an IPO and go public again because the money to be made is incredible. 
could you but on, on the flip side could you imagine being an early investor before it goes to market and and getting these at 68 dollars and it shoots up to 148 as soon as it goes on the market these guys must be cleaning up i i, I actually don't know what they are doing but for me um it is something of this time and of these times and I can't take it serious anymore simple like that um because if you just look uh, i checked the other day a little bit in the beginning like the valuation 68 was already quite a lot yeah so so it's just crazy and um you know i i wish everyone their profit right so if if you're if you made a quite a good deal on this and then then congratulations it's not my game uh, it's not that i'm jealous i'm just concerned about all those people that invest in it uh enjoy the ride but might not know when to step out and then lose all their money yeah because the pendulum pendulum usually swings twice as hard to the other side as well and and that's what i'm more wor worried about because what you then get is specifically if these are young investors they get burned we might not see them back for a decade and that's a pity yeah because i think uh for everyone's own uh, empowerment i think it's really good to be in the stock part stock market you learn a lot about businesses you build your own wealth uh, and such and this is what i'm more um, a little bit afraid of that people get burned on this yeah and, and and what you said right there is exactly how cryptocurrency went in 2017 2018 and it's still not recovered fully I, I look i know bitcoin had a recent rally but the rest of the coins and they're still way behind of what people would have bought into two years ago and it hurt a lot of people i know some people invested money they shouldn't have invested at all-time highs they bought into ipos at the time and they're never going to get that money back and those people will never probably go back into cryptocurrency even as blockchain and stuff becomes more mainstream sure. mm -hmm. and the same will happen with these investors they, they'll put money in yes it's good when it goes up and the fear is that you start a confirmation voice, you'll start going, okay, I can't lose money here. And they'll just keep mm -hmm. investing. And and soon, it just, the bottom falls out of it. So look, I, I, I hope people that, that go into these know exactly why they're going in um, and when they're going to get out. And yeah. best, best of luck to each, each, and, each person who's involved. And what I find so interesting uh, around 1999, these valuations were also really that crazy, right? And mm -hmm. for instance, a Microsoft, which might be, Airbnb might be something like what you could argue, maybe a tech stock uh, like like Microsoft maybe was in the in the late '90s. Although I think Microsoft yeah. even still had a bit more quality there. Um, it took them also more than a decade to get back to the prices they had at that time. So it might be just that we are soon talking for these tech stocks about the last decade, because in yeah. the end, valuation does matter. Yeah, when they, once those companies start to mature um valuation starts to matter more and more and more when it comes to rational valuations like 15 to 20 pe or something like that yeah and, and look we we've spoke before on how we thought or definitely i thought that the markets were out of sync with reality and what's happening and look we've seen all-time highs and and rallies and the opposite is true in the economy and it's it's not all going plain sailing so maybe next show when we start getting back to normal COVID starts disappearing, people start living their lives back to normal. I know in Ireland, mm -hmm. they still have the supplementary payment, the PUP payment. People start coming off that and they go back to the, the normal lives. We, we might start to see some sort of a, a pushback, but yeah, it, it, it does. It, look, it just, to me, it's, it's a scary thought 
which is so out of sync and and like you said the parallels to 1999 is is uncanny Okay. okay, good. So let's start about uh, the main topic because actually it's a nice bridge to it because um, we're going to talk about sectors. And maybe a reason also um, why I really want to talk about sectors uh, this this week because I've been looking a little bit about my portfolio. Um, I do this every once in a while. And I was checking like, what's my sector allocation? Why is it like that? My current allocation. I feel like, okay, let's dive a little bit deeper in it. So. I mean, you know this better than me, but there seem to be multiple standards here. And how was the standard called again that we, that we're using here today in the show? Well, we're using the S and P um, standards. It's the GICS standards. So they've yeah. got eleven sectors, which which we all know about. And then the UK, we all know the UK like to to go out on their own, but they've got the ICB standards, and they've only got ten ten sectors. But I suppose for our discussion, we're just going to focus mm. on the the GI. CS standards. Yeah. So let's do some historical background first. So uh, I will, when you're listening on YouTube, I'll pull up a table now, uh, which shows the average stock market uh, sector returns between 1974 and 2019. If you look at that, um, the, the top performing uh, sector that we had was the consumer staples with 13% average return. Um, after that, we had the uh, the real estate uh, investment trusts with 12.5%. The third one was the healthcare sector with 11.9%. And then uh, maybe to some a surprise, but the fourth one was the energy sector with 11.1%. So a lot of the oil is in there. And then you see already more of the stocks coming more in a closer proximity to each other, like utilities 10.9%. Um, we have consumer discretionary like Disney and something like that for 10.7%, industrials 10.6%. But the worst performing uh, sectors um, were communication services with 9.8% and materials with 8.9%. So if, if you know this, it's really interesting because we live in 2019 now and uh, or 2020. And if you look at the first part of the year, it was really information technology that was uh, uh, really driving the uh, the growth and for instance information technology itself was really in in, in the in the former um, i said four decades it was like on average around 10 percent so it's really interesting to see how technology like technology performance in 2019 was 50 percent yeah in the first half of this year it was 15 percent while most sectors were in red so it's clearly um, that the information technology is not anymore the same sector as it was uh, 30 years ago. Yeah, te technology has has moved on. We've got companies now such as Google, Microsoft. They haven't been, well, Microsoft maybe, but Google and, and the likes that have been around more recently that are really driving growth. So it'd be interesting to see this from a decade on. And I'd mm -hmm. imagine information technology might be a little bit higher than what it sits, sits there now. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think also the companies that you mentioned, also like Facebook, they are really nowadays it's more winner takes all. Um, I said uh, industry, let's say, because with 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 the scalability is like unlimited almost for such companies. Yeah, and that's I think the difference why uh, within the information technology sector between today with the introduction of and the maturity of the internet compared to how it was in the seventies and the eighties. 
And what I find really interesting is like um, uh, some of the worst uh, performing uh, stocks uh, this year in the first half, no surprise, is uh, the energy sector. It had minus 35, but also the financial sector with minus 23. And the industrial sector, utility sector, minus 14 and minus 11. So it just all tells you like the, you could almost say like the old industries, uh, traditional industries that have not really been changing yet due to the introduction of uh, internet technology and such they seem to be really lagging uh, the other sectors and these are also sectors that um i said i i just more traditional industries let's say yeah okay so what it means then for if, if we start looking at my portfolio and i will also uh, while we are talking about it i will pull our pictures up right for uh, as a support but i'm currently invested uh, the most heavily in the uh, consumer staples uh, sector it um at the at the moment i'm 28 percent uh, allocated to the sector now what means consumer staples for me it means uh, danone unilever ahol delhaise they form a really large portfolio of my um, uh, part of my portfolio at the moment. The reason for that is that I've been, of course, really building up in Danone this year. Um, but it was also because I had the goal this year to give myself more exposure to the um, uh, European stocks to do some mm -hmm. more currency diversification. And this was not the case before because energy was the biggest. And energy is now in the fourth place in my portfolio with 12%. Now, there are two reasons for that. I stopped investing in the energy sector uh, because of the fundamental changes with the introduction of COVID-19. Not sure whether the new normal will will put like an invisible hand above the market, pushing it down. Um, and at the same time, of course, the stocks crashed because I'm still on most of my positions like ExxonMobil and Shell. And Shell, I had a really big position and still 30% down or something like that. Yeah, so consumer staples, when, when I think of consumer staples, I, I always think of companies that have something that you will always need. So you mentioned mm -hmm. Denone, for example, or food companies and, 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 and the like. So well, they're always, at, I suppose, the head of a, a defensive setup. And typically, for me, they are my, my top. I think they're my top as well. I have 23% of them. In, in my portfolio and again i i quite think of my allocation as a defensive setup um, consumer staples information technology and healthcare they, they would be my top three and that that's by design because they are the three that i believe we will always need with, with all sectors there will be some some risks to consider i mean i know that they're, they're at the consumer staples at the center of every defensive setup but what are some of the risks with having too much exposure to this sector. So when I think about the consumer staples, I think about, for instance, when I think about Unilever as an example, right? So what I've seen uh, since the year 2004, 2005, uh, there was a trend in globalization. So entering the, um, uh, the Asian markets and such, right? Uh, India, China, these kinds of markets. So you could, you could argue uh, now in 2020, almost 2021, how much room is there still left to grow for some of those companies? Because they have already quite a deep penetration in many countries. Um, so I think the big bang has already been earned there. 
and at the same time another risk that I see is the aging population so what that means like many people are getting more well you know the the boomers are are slowly dying let's say like that um i know my grandparents as people that always went to the supermarkets bought their brands uh, canned food but i'm already in a generation where we go more to farmers markets and everything so our is our share of wallet and for the millennials and such is that one um, just as big as for the boomers when it comes to buying uh, everything in the supermarket? I'm not sure about that, but when I think about these kinds of things, um, so the, the changing preferences uh, between our generations, I think that could be a risk for consumer staples. But I see them as small risks because I think the consumer staple sector is as defensive as it gets. It's uh, supporting the bottom of the Maslow pyramid of, of we all need food. So that's why, like to your point, I've designed my portfolio around the consumer staples because their dividends are more secure from that point of view, at least according to uh, to my opinion. And this would suit me better in retirement. It will probably take me less, uh, 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 gives me less fear. At the moment, at that time for dividend cuts. And you mentioned an aging population as you know one of the risks of this sector, and I suppose that leads me to onto diversification and why we have diversification in our portfolios. And again, across each sec each each sector is important, and that's where healthcare would really benefit. So, yeah. from one side, consumer staples is is look. It can have an effect on that, but it's a positive effect then on, on the healthcare. So that's for me, that is why healthcare would be within my top three positions. Yeah. Just for, for that reason alone. We have a massive, massive aging population and it's it's worth knowing that. And it's worth knowing that in the next 10, 20 years, it's gonna re put real pressure on our on our society. So healthcare for me yeah. is is important to have in there as an offset to consumer staples. Yeah, and there's a lot of wealth in that group. I've saw, seen a chart the other day that um, I think above a certain age, probably about about 50 or 55, I think 90% of the wealth is concentrated. So, you know, they can also pay for for higher drug prices, right? So, but, but to your point, uh, for me, maybe also to talk about my desired allocation here because it's probably a good moment to talk about it. So for me, consumer staples and healthcare, uh, I both desire them to be 18%. So consumer staples for me is to currently 28 because I'm still in the accumulation phase and Danone was for me an, um, uh, an opportunity not to ignore. Um, but they will be both my biggest sectors, I hope, in the future. And, and specifically for those reasons, I think uh, the beer case uh, uh, for healthcare how I look at it is probably the, the drug prices um, and specifically in a country like America, I know that some of the stocks that I have like Apfi and Novartis, they really, really benefit from the high drug prices in, in, in the States. So if for instance, there would be a political uh, change there in the sense of that they're really going to fight the prices, this might really put uh, suppress the future um, growth prospects for some of the healthcare stocks in my portfolio. For now, I think I'm good here, but it's something to keep an eye on. I would say the political uh, risks there. You you mentioned your desired portfolio and, and you put a number eighteen percent on both consumer staples yeah. and and healthcare. How did you come to that level? Why why eighteen percent? I, I know when I started, it was something yeah. that I I, I struggled with how. How do you define what each each one is? 
Yeah, so in general, uh, I told myself there are 11 sectors. So I, I at least don't want the sector to be bigger than 20% in my portfolio. Yeah, because uh, what, 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 uh, look at the energy sector now. Yeah, energy sector this year, like, was really down as a whole sector. So if I would have had 50% allocated to one single sector in my portfolio, I would have been crushed. Yeah. It, it still hurt it because I was probably on the 24, 25% at the beginning of the year in energy, just for the fact that uh, in the in the early allocation, I say accumulation stage, I don't mind to be above those percentages. But I told myself not more than 20%. And then I just started to look at um, what kind of um, sectors I, I would like to have most. There are 11 sectors. And then the 18% was a result of that, yeah, because I do want to have some utilities in there, but just a little bit. I do want some real estate in there, but just a little bit. And if you start doing like that, then, for instance, you consume already 30% and then you have the other uh, 70% left for five sectors or something like that. So that's how it came to these numbers. But I set myself the rule that I don't want it to be above a certain threshold because of the risk, to, uh, single sector risk, let's say, in my portfolio. Yeah, that, that's given me something to to think about because I, I've actually changed my mindset on on how I approach this this year. So at at the start of the year, I, I was really focusing on getting the right mix of you know twenty percent consumer staples and and so on, and picking defining these percentages. And I, I found like I was over focusing on them and maybe missing opportunities and companies because I had a certain amount of a stock and I didn't want to to overextend myself. So towards the middle of the year, I kind of shifted and I picked my desired portfolio. Okay, mm -hmm. and I picked the companies that I want to have in my portfolio, and then from there, I just whatever sector they were in, I, I put them into as, as I mentioned, I put them into four different tiers. I have an overall figure that I want to reach, so each tier has a, a monetary value of what it would look like at the end, and from there, I derived what my sector allocation would be. But to your point, I'd never thought about the risks of what if we have a downturn like energy has had. So I have consumer staples here as 24% of, based on my desired portfolio, information technology is 26%. That's quarter of my portfolio. So there's a big, big risk there that I maybe need to consider a little bit more. The only thing is that I'm, I'm still not finished designing my portfolio. I have 26 companies, so there's still space for, for six more. So this is going to change when, when they come in. But my focus this year was was really to define the companies that I most want to invest in. And then the sector allocation will be, be yeah. as a consequence of that. Now, obviously, I, I wasn't going to go all tech stocks or all in the one, but I didn't focus on it too much. I did at the start of the year. I felt like I was getting a little bit bogged down trying to get the perfect figures and I just changed my mindset and, and how I approach it. I, I maybe will go back and think about the risk a little bit, but for now, I just want to get a list of 32 companies that, that I'm happy to invest in and then maybe six or seven more that I have on the sidelines and, and see where I go yeah. from there. But I did something similar to that, right? So I did your approach as well. Yeah, and then I compared it with my desired sector allocation. Then I started to play with it. So I left a few stocks out because I noticed like oh, I've got too many consumer staples or something like that on my uh, desired allocation. 
So, um, but I, I also just looked at all the companies that I wanted. So I also made my shopping list. Um, I have also my t four tiers. And you know, if, I, if, if something changes that I really would like to swap the other stock and the stock becomes not tier one, but two or tier two, and then it becomes 17%. I mean, that's for me like uh, pennywise pound foolish, right? Um, for me, it's more the limit of 20%. It's kind of a hard limit. That That's not what I w would like to go over it. And we have seen, for instance, the consumer staples being impacted. Uh, I think it was in 2016, no, 2017, when Amazon bought, uh, was it Whole Foods? Then at, this, at that moment, uh, many consumer staples like like Walmart, Target, Ahold del Hez, uh, they, they really went straight away 30, 40% down just because of Amazon. Uh, they, they came up again half a year later, but imagine that Amazon indeed was able to sweep out the market. Yeah, that, that, that's where you see the single uh, sector risk uh, really. And this can happen to IT as well. In, I mean, maybe an IT is so diversified and so huge, but yeah, what what if regulation comes in? The big companies need to be broken up. It might suppress the valuations of uh, IT companies uh, and such. And actually, it will be for us now uh, that those will be brilliant buying opportunities, of course. But for those reasons, I think uh, I, I wouldn't. And then this is my comf comfort level. It has nothing to do with uh, theory or being, I would say, um, following the science here. It's just my my personal comfort level of uh, how I look at it. Yeah, risk 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 level is very very important. And, and how would you feel if, as you said, energy sector dropped thirty percent, and that's forty percent? That's of what your happened. Portfolio. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and that's what happened. So. And and the da the danger and the danger for me when 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 I was researching this, you read of defensive portfolio allocations, but that doesn't mean they're not going to drop and drop hard. They have done mm. in the past, as you've mentioned, they're not bulletproof. If if you go back to the start when you spoke about the returns, the average returns, and it, it's quite interesting actually. We we had some standout performers like. Consumer staples, yes, it was 13%. But look at financials or look at industrials, for example. It's 10.6%. So it's not a huge, huge difference. So to my, my point would be just because it's defensive doesn't mean you have to overextend yourself in that. There, there is other sectors and your returns maybe might drop a percent or two, but over the long term, you'll have a more risk efficient, you won't risk as much in your portfolio over time. Yeah, and what's probably also good to mention is that those are past returns based on secular growth trends at those times. Yeah, in the 80s and 90s was a total different world than nowadays. So we need to, um, I think, consider that as well. But um, having said that, uh, my top five to, to, to for, for, for my side to conclude this, so my Top five currently are consumer staples, IT, healthcare, energy, and industrials. They make up approximately 70% of my portfolio already at the moment. But my desired allocation is, is the, um, uh, I would say, the, the same top five, yeah? Um, which is consumer staples, IT, healthcare. And then I've got three actually on the same level. This is... Um, uh, energy industrials and consumer discretionary for me really where i don't want anything really is financials so 
but I have some allocation here because of insurance companies that I like in my comp in my portfolio, but I don't want banks or something like that. Materials as well. I mean, I don't see as materials as something um, that I feel comfortable with. Uh, and I mean, I have a little bit there, but for instance, maybe copper is now really hot because of the EVs. But then, then that's not anymore for me dividend investing as such. That I'm really theme investing based on 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 some certain trends and in growth investing. So generally, um, um, yeah, I'm I'm I would say I'm overweight in those uh, sectors. How does it look for you, uh, EMF? Yeah. So my top five are consumer staples and information technology. So, so both of them, as I said, are around 25% at the moment, 24 for consumer staples, 26 for, for IT. Healthcare comes in at 12%, which is maybe lower than, than I would have thought. And then I've got communication services because of my investment mainly in AT&T. And energy then comes in at, at 8.6. And, and that's mainly because of my investments in, in Shell. But when, when I look at IT, and consumer staples I'm, I'm actually not surprised that they're the top two because my strategy seems to be to try and pick companies that are depressed in value so for example intel and, and cisco in the it sections and and so on and shell in, in the energy section so i'm not surprised they they are where they are but compared to my desired portfolio i'd really like healthcare a little bit higher on that and communication services I, I don't really want that in, in my top top five really I, i'd like to see either financials i know i know you're not keen on financials but i, I like aflac for example and and munich re i'd like to see them a little bit higher but i'd also like to see real estate and, and reads in there but my investments in in reads or in real estate was a little bit higher i used to do crowdfunding in uh, I, it's a website in the uk called property partners i know i know there's a few guys on twitter that that do that but i've pulled everything out of that so my allocation has really gone down on on that side of it so i'm, I'm looking at a few more reads to add to that to maybe prop that up at the moment it's just it's just realty income but yeah look i i, I like i'm liking where where it's going and i like my strategy of maybe focusing on quality companies and as you said we're in the accumulation stage so i'm, I'm not focusing too much on it but you have given me a little bit food for thought on twenty five percent, twenty six percent. Maybe is a little bit high, so I'll have to maybe rein that back. Maybe twenty percent seems a good number, but I just need to figure out my own kind of risk to reward ratio. Super. So let's um, uh, conclude here then about uh, our sector allocations. I hope it is also interesting for the listeners. It's not something that people discuss a lot about, right? When we usually we talk about portfolio allocation and uh, about the individual stocks that we have. So I hope it um, uh, it is just in general food for thought. You know, the holidays are coming up. Always a good time to reflect on the year, to do some reviews, to to re recalibrate for the upcoming year. What you want to do? What are your goals? So. Um, yeah, let us also know later on Twitter if you have any uh, follow-up questions. We're more than happy to uh, answer them. Having said that, we have quite some listeners' questions again today, EMF. Shall we just start? Let's do it. Okay. So uh, the first question, like always, and I think it's becoming a tradition, is Phil. Uh, with regards to your favorite stocks, do you want prices to go up or down? 
I want the prices to go down. But it, it's something we struggle with as dividend investors. You do want the price to go up overall, but you, but human nature, when, when they go down, people tend to panic. And I, I know I can speak about social media. I mean, every day there's people, my portfolio is up 2%, it's 3%, and, and constantly, constantly checking. I'd wonder sometimes, are they really dividend investors or are, are they really long-term investors? Because focusing on, on these miniature moves are 1% or 2% each day. Is it a green day? Is it a red day? I mean, it must be exhausting for one, but it's 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 not the end goal for me. I, I, I like when prices go down, but I'm, I'm more focused on where the company is going in the future. For example, Intel. Uh, look, they've gone down, they've gone down really, really hard, but I'm, I'm still optimistic, I, I suppose is the right word, on, on where their future is going. IBM as well, they've had a terrible, terrible 10 years, but I'm a little bit more optimistic with the splitting the company and blockchain. It doesn't mean I, I could be wrong, I could fall flat on my face, but it's I have op, optimism for these companies, so I, I'd rather buy them when they're down rather than buying them when they're at a high valuation. So I do want prices to go down. <laughs> I think every dividend investor will know, know the struggle, and, and Phil said it himself, we, we want them to go down, but we want them to go up. It's, it so I can tell is. you uh, my look, look at it. I want share prices to go down, and I want earnings and cash flows to go up. That's probably a better outlook. Plus the dividends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um, Seago Investor, do you guys use the moving average to get the buying price? If yes, which one? So I have to say no, I, I don't. But I will say that the, the Wolf of Harcourt Street wrote an excellent post. It was a guest post on, on my blog and I linked to it here about that subject and it's, it's probably worth checking out. Technical analysis is something that has always intrigued me. And I have a couple of books behind me on that subject, but I've yet to, to dig into them. I, I really want to, but I'm kind of scared to at, at the same time. And it might take, might maybe take my eye off the goal and, and focus a little bit too much on them. And, and they're, they're nice to have and, and they're nice to check. But for me, technical analysis is, is not my strong point and it's not the main feature behind my thesis so i I'm, i might swerve it for now okay uh, i've got nothing to add there same here okay um then we have wolf of hardcore street and he asked if we had a look at iipr already no i, I haven't and i i've put him on my trello board so I, I will get them i just don't know i just don't know when it will be next year schedule is too busy coming up to, to christmas it will be next year they did interest me and again his his post is a really nice substack actually and it showed some really good posts but it has inspired me to, to look at him and it's a really good take on entry into the cannabis markets it's not something i'm overly familiar with it might take off it might not we don't know regulation as you, as you know is as huge mm -hmm. bearing on, on what happens but a REIT in that sector might be the safest option to go because you can always use these warehouses for something else if, if that yeah. doesn't take off. So it, it looks like an interesting prospect, but I, I've yet to dig into the numbers and, and so forth. Yeah. Okay, so we have another question from Easy Money, and he has asked us, why is 
take our symbol AD, the best retailer of Europe? Um, so I will not necessarily, I mean, I did last week's talk about Ahold, right? I'm just thinking, is it the best retailer of Europe? I wouldn't claim that in the sense of, uh, from a consumer point of view, because Ahold is really penetrated in the Netherlands and in Belgium and in the US, not, not much further in Europe. Yes, it has something, but not too much. If I think about the best retailer, and I, uh, I guess he's talking about supermarket chains, not about uh, other kind of retailers. I would probably think that Lidl is probably even uh, better. But when we start thinking about it from an, um, I said from an uh, investment case point of view, what I just love really about Al Del has is their power in the supply chain, their innovation, their product innovation that they have always been doing. That's how I know it from the Netherlands. They also bought Bold.com at the time, which is kind of the Dutch version of Amazon. So, which gives them a lot of know-how about um, running a digital business, and they're also growing really quick at the moment, or really fast in in in, in delivery and such. And they've been able to use Bold.com technology as well in the US to 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 transform. That was one of their major goals, I think, two years ago. So, I think this company just has all the tailwinds at the moment, and that's why I think it's one of the best investment cases in Europe when you think about consumer staple, um, candidates, uh, when you want to have something like Walmart or something like that, but then in Europe. Yes. Okay, I've, I've nothing more to add on that really. So I'll ask you the next question from Dividend MVP. How do you come up with a fair value of a stock? So, you know, um, I, I What's probably good to know is like I had some accounting at school, so uh, business school. So I learned how to do discounted cash flow um, analysis. And yeah, this is how I can calculate the fair value of a stock. But the calculation is one thing. Uh, there's a lot of sensitivity there and for instance applying a discount rate. So the discount rate or the way that the average cost of capital, you need to see it as how much does the company need to pay for money by either going to the bank and pay an interest rate or go to the stock market and have, for instance, um, I said, uh, investors expecting a 10% return or something like that. So this whole, whole, whole um, uh, mix of how much money costs is called something discount rate. So these are really sensitive. It's really easy to make mistakes in that. Um, sometimes I have a feeling that I have a tendency to overanalyze these kinds of things uh, and I started to this year more to to use common sense and I think it's it's doing me better when it comes to fair valuation but uh, to to also to mention to dividend MVP I think one of the most important is not so much the calculation is but it's your understanding of the business and how what what your take on their growth prospects are because when you are doing a discounted cash flow analysis an example you need to assume some growth rates. And for that, you need to understand the business. You need to understand the market. And I can tell you, something like Johnson & Johnson is almost impossible to think about the growth rate. So here I look more at the history of such a company and their their cadence every year, 6 7% growth. And I, I, I do then, um, I said, uh, use that for future look. But in some other companies, I have a feeling like, oh, there's a catalyst coming up. So... 
from if I look at the history, probably it will be a bit more, or I think they are more having headwinds, so it will be a bit less. And that's usually how I use those forecasts. And that's then that I do my calculation about. But dividend MVP, I think it's important just, and we recommended it in one of the earlier shows. If you really, really are passionate about investing and, and want to invest in single stocks, our strongest recommendation is to do a at least an accounting course so that you learn the basics of how to read statements and how to do some basic calculations because that will really help you in in doing these kinds of things in fair value and i find for instance looking at a pe of 20 i don't find that fair value because often the earnings are are misrepresented because they can really financially engineer that yeah, so in terms of tools i i use a template that I got from your website, the cash flow mm -hmm. from your website. I also use a dividend a dividend discount model. It's it's a multi-stage model that I use. Again, you have some assumptions on that, but it was the Sunday investor who who helped me come up with this and, and design it and he, he did a lot of work. Um, I use the two of them to help me calculate the fair value. You mentioned P ratios. I, I don't go by this value of, of 20 as as the figure. I, I tend to look at the historical value over the last 10 years and, and what the average is and if they're below that they might be over undervalued and if they're above it they might be overvalued so I, I tend to take an average these three figures and use that as my fair value sometimes i check morningstar and and other sources as well just to compare that i'm, I'm not completely off the wall but but like you said it's it's important to to understand the growth potential growth rate of a company we will never know what mm -hmm. what they grow at and, and you'll get that from their reports their annual report they'll give you estimations of what they believe they're going to be optimistic so you can normally go below what, what they say but in terms of tools I, i'm happy to share my, my spreadsheets um just drop me a line and i can i can share them away but that that's typically what i would use to to start getting evaluation of them Okay, we, we have another question from Centrino. Um, and I knew this question was coming because I kind of wrote him privately about this, but I, I maybe ask you and get your perspective. And he says, sometimes I see people making buying, selling decisions based on RSI. Is this index a good starting point? Or what other indicators could be used to make better decisions? So this is the relative strength indicator, right? Yes. Um, yes. Okay. So sometimes but in 10 percent of the cases so sometimes when i see that the stock is really under stress and it's been falling for days and i want to buy it but i don't I'm, I'm doubting whether it's the right time i might look at the rsi and actually it's the only thing i'm look at i'm not looking at the moving averages or something like that uh okay sometimes but only at the RSI because it tells me if it's oversold or overbought. And when it's oversold, I know that there's a like there's potentially a likelihood that it will not drop another 10% uh, overnight. But again, this is this is in those rare cases that uh, a stock is falling hard. Usually, I wait anyway until it bounces a little bit because I want to avoid a falling knife uh, situation, and I don't need to bottom fish. But yeah, and, and only in those cases I might look at it other than that not really because i know i've done my fair valuation so usually i buy more like 10 percent under my fair value than the next one 15 percent than the next one 20 percent that's more the way how i average down and i don't then really care about rsi or moving averages 
um, so much. So, so my take on it was an RSI is a lagging indicator. Moving averages are, are lagging indicators. So they're basically indicators of what has happened in the past, not what's going to happen in the future. You also have time scales, different time scales. Do you use a month, a week, an hour? Which which one are you going to use and why? Depending on your on your strategy, like short-term traders might use the RSI on a one-hourly basis or 15-minute basis. What would you do that as a dividend investor? I don't really know. Honestly, I don't know. If, if you're investing for the care. long yeah, if, if you're investing <laughs> for the long term, why why does it matter? If if you're investing yeah. for the short term, then you need to know how short that is. Are you investing for the month? Are you investing for the week or the day? And that will tell you the time scale you need to look at because each RSI will be different on each time scale. I look at it when I am doing my fundamental analysis. It is one of the last things I look at. I think it's one or two two points out of 100. And really, I look at the long term, so I look at the, at the monthly. And if the monthly one is at 70 or above 70, there's a high chance it's going to dip down below, and I, I might hold off. But I, I don't use it to make decisions. It's useful to know if something is over, overbought or oversold. But again, it's, it's completely strategy dependent and as a dividend investor dividend growth investor i'm not sure where it actually fits in so uh, you make me reflect on this because what well, one of my investing principles is to invest without emotions turned on and when we look at an rsi it's all about emotions right oversold overbought so probably i should even stop looking at it in those rare cases because it makes utterly no sense then for me Anyway, um, thank you, um, uh, Centrino. Good question, but I think as you heard that we're more um, looking at it from other pro, uh, point of view. So next question, uh, just dividends. Now that the year is nearly over, did 2020 impact your strategy or allocation targets? And I think we spoke about it already a bit today. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure it was it was because of 2020 and COVID. It's just my mindset has changed and, and how I look at things have changed over, over time. Yeah. For me, it's a bit too early, uh, just dividends. I would need to look a little bit deeper, but generally, I don't think so. There's not really a lot changed in my approach. I've been executing rather to my plan, and I'm really sticking to my plan all the time because I know my my unwanted roommate is an impulse and, and, and such. So I try to therefore stick to my plan because that's my fail safe cool so the next question is from king and he asks why has aura lost three person this morning ticker symbol aura yeah i i, I don't know and I, I think i've mentioned this in, in one of the earlier questions i'm not really into looking daily into the price fluctuations if it's down or up up three percent i i out of curiosity I, I did look at this ticker symbol earlier and it was up two percent so maybe it, it dipped and then it went back up i don't know but for that kind of reason it, it doesn't interest me one bit what companies are doing on a day-to-day -day basis is the dividend safe do they have future growth is that cash flow growing that's all i care about one or two percent a day going up or down fluctuating that's not for me yeah i understand okay and then the last question is from dividend dane who asked 
what are your views on diversification needs in a portfolio of various sizes so say for 10k 50k 100k so essentially your your early early accumulation phase versus the later stages well um it's actually really simple for me first of all 10k for me might be something else than 10k for you i live in a low income country um, if you live in a high income country like switzerland then 10k might be um, uh, one month salary definitely not for me so for me 10k is already uh, quite a lot of money to be honest um but i i it, i don't think like that honestly because let's say that i invest thousand euro a month yeah then of course if i have 10k then i i can have maximum 10 stocks yeah so the more and the the more my portfolio grows the more i can start diversifying so and 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 for me all the way up to 100k and i pass the 100k is all accumulation phase so i'm tracking my 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 allocation um but i have already my tiers yeah so for instance uh, a tier one is for me not more than twenty thousand euro in one stock and tier two is 15 tier three is 10 and tier four is five i have never nowhere reached 20 yet so I'm, I'm probably using more that approach and then the diversification is already baked into my approach so it's not really about the amount of money at a certain stage in my portfolio yeah regardless of of the amount of money as you said it's different for each person it really comes down to what you're really willing to risk and and how you would react to to a, a loss of a certain amount so as you said 10k might be a lot for somebody it might be pocket change to somebody else but if your portfolio is to drop by 50 percent, how how do you react to that and that your risk management is or understanding what your level of risk is is important when coming up with, with sector allocation i think regardless if it's the early stages or, or the later stages for me personally i'm not paying too much attention to it as i said i've changed my mindset into picking the companies that i want and then i'm trying to invest in them when their value is is low or um, yeah when, when they're when they're going to buy but it'll, it'll be interesting for me to track how my mindset will change over time as you start getting into say reaching financial freedom with dividend investing and if, if i had aspirations of retiring early which which i probably won't but if i did how would that impact my decision making because at that point your risk like your risk level will be a little bit lower because it's now impacting your lifestyle yeah so exactly. it, it, it's it's definitely food for thought but at this moment in time i'm in the accumulation phase so i don't pay too much attention to it but it, each person's risk is is different and said one person might might lose 1k of 10k and it might be the end of the world and, and some people can can tolerate that so understanding your your risk is is key and we know that uh, we all know that ireland is the end of the world so no it's when you when you sail past Ireland and you fall <laughs> the edge of the ocean the atlantic ocean <laughs> okay so uh, thank you all for for all these listeners questions really diverse this time uh, and fits well on the topic of sector diversification as well so thank you all keep them coming we love as you hear we love answering them so um yeah and and this week i'm screwed with a stock pick right so 
Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I really like the stock you picked last week, and I I really like they were picking European stocks. Yeah, because it's really attractive to go into uh, U.S. stocks because they are probably more well known by some of us. But um, so I also made an effort again to take European stock stock this week, and actually I took one that I'm all the time pointing my eyes at, and I get sometimes the question about this stock, and the Spanish listeners will love it because it's Iberdrola. I don't know if you even pronounce it like a Spaniard does. Um, but why I'm picking this one, what I love about this company, it's quite an old company, but it has been transforming into a real green energy player. So when we talk, and it's a utility, by the way, right? And what I, I think this is one of those stocks that I would love to have in my portfolio from a point of view that you know, I want to do something with the climate change and, and a good player on it. And I don't really have that in my portfolio yet. And this is a company that's full in it. It's really also in their mission statement and such. And they're, they're I mean, they're really focused fully on it and they are big in wind energy. But as an example, what they have uh, written in their purpose, so they say, we are the utility of the future. And with over 170 years of history behind us, Iberdrola is now a global energy leader the number one producer of wind power and one of the world's biggest electricity utilities in terms of market capitalization and 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 here it comes we have brought the energy transition forward two decades to combat climate change and provide a clean reliable and smart business model this last sentence is the reason why i would like to be invested um, because this resonates so much with me and i think there is a lot of money to be earned um but if you then start looking a little bit about uh, the money to be earned, well, it's not, not so easy for them because if you look at what happened over the last 10 years, their revenue has been trading in a range between 30 and 35 billion. So it's not like they have been able to turn that already in quick revenue growth, but it also shows a little bit that they are transforming. This transformation has also led in 2014 uh, to cut their dividend by 11%. And that's usually why it drops off again. Every time when I look at it, I think, like, oh, they, they cut the dividend in 2014. But, you know, it's just 11%. So maybe I shouldn't be too tough on them because they have been growing their dividend quite rapidly uh, ever since. So um, in that sense, it's going to pay 40 cents now. The, the stock price is around 11.30. Um, what is also good to know is that they're really focused on the dividends and I think they mentioned that they uh, their payout range should be something between 65 and 75 percent so they want to pay back a lot of their um, uh, earnings in, into dividends so they have kind of a shareholder friendly um, uh, policy and <clears throat> what I so yeah what I just what I therefore like is that until 22 or 23 they are really focused on, on on growth here so let's see how that goes but then comes a little bit the annoying stuff that you know the price is at 11.30 it's close to their all-time high their all-time high was in 2007 so they went quite through a dip since then but if you look at it now from the last few years it's really at a at a high valuation or no at a high price maybe sorry at high price not necessarily valuation but it's a utility so you, you pay a price to earnings of 20 for it which is really high for me for utilities their dividend yield is nice with 3.5 percent again for a utility you you usually expect something around four and a half five percent 
Um, their five-year dividend growth rate looks quite good with around seven percent. Their APS is in, within their bound APS payout ratio is within their boundaries of seventy-two percent. Their EPS has been growing, but what concerns me is their free cash flow, and their free cash flow has been really poor over over the last several years. Sometimes in the minus, sometimes in, just in the plus, and it's because of their large capital expenditures. And and this is for me kind of a red flag because definitely the 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 um, i said the free cash flows underwater with that uh, if you count in dividends as well so it's a bit of a mixed bag for me this company the utility i love their vision i love what they're working on um as a company i just find i just don't find their stock strong enough for me to pull the trigger to add it into my portfolio and start building a position i, I want to I want to see some some better results there in their in 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 their cash flow. To be honest, so this is Iberdrola. I keep on uh, having an eye on it. Every few months, I'm looking into it because someone tells me, "Ah, oh, did you look into this stock?" And I think, "Yeah, I looked in it, but I don't remember why I, I went away from it again." And every time, it's about the same thing. So I hope I re will remember it next time better. Uh, but why I'm sharing it today is I think that um, if you want to have a utility in your portfolio and you tr you you can see through the fingers a little bit about their cash flow, I think it could be a really good addition. It's um, so it's not necessarily my recommendation as a stock pick, but it's more like a, a stock that I wanted to talk about today. That's how you should see it. Yeah, it's a, a really interesting choice and at the beginning when you were speaking about the purpose and climate change and you really had me hooked and i was like wow this 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 looks like a really good company and then you start talking about their their numbers and to be honest the numbers don't don't really impress me what i would probably like to do now and, and you'd give me some food for thought is maybe check some of their competitors or, or maybe companies that are ahead in the climate change race that maybe don't have to spend like I can understand why their free cash flow is poor. If they want to make this transition to to combat climate change, you're going to need to spend in the in the capital expense. So look, it's 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 understandable, and and if you're, I suppose, bullish in, in that sense, they might be worth looking at. But I, I might want to check out some of the competitors that that may be ahead in that. But no, really, really nice choice, and you've raised the bar for me. Next week, I, I need to go and, and do some research. <laughs> good so i think we're concluding show again for today um thank you emf like always i really love talking to you about stocks and about dividend investing today was really interesting for me also to hear your thoughts about sector allocation i'm sure that over the christmas days when when you know maybe when we have a boring day or something like that that will light up the chimney and um, go through these kinds of uh, calculations again to see if I want to shift something a little bit or not because it's always the time for me to do the reflections and to set my goals for next year. So thanks. Thanks for today. Also, thanks for all the listeners. And um, yeah, let's uh, speak to each other again next week. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you next week. Thanks everyone for listening and see you over the Christmas period. <laughs>